You are listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more content and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. So I'm excited today. We're continuing our series on the book of Ruth. We learned last week that this could be called the Gospel of Ruth because it is good news. It is such good news. Ruth, again, takes place against this morally corrupt and bankrupt time of the judges. And for that reason, this beautiful story of redemption stands out all the more like a beacon in the night. Now, we're taking this thing in really bite-sized pieces. So last week, we covered just the first five verses. Today, we're going to be in verses 6 through 18. So your assignment a couple of weeks ago was to read the book of Ruth every single day. Now, if you haven't had the chance to do that, you will have some time still because we're going to be in this thing for a couple of months yet. But kind of the main point that I I want to bring to light here for you guys, and we've talked about this. The main kind of tagline for this sermon series is this, and why don't you say this with me right now? Vulnerable people can find protection under Yahweh's wings. This is based explicitly off of a verse, verse 22 of, I believe it's chapter 1, where God speaks of protecting Ruth under the shelter of his wings. And what we see in the book of Ruth is layer upon layer of vulnerability in Ruth and Naomi, these women. It's a unique thing in a patriarchal society like that to not just have women be a a part of the story, but like the main characters, the ones who are driving the action and kind of pushing this whole thing forward. It was a rarity in, in that day and age, very much so. And, and so you have these, these women who maybe don't have, definitely don't have the same rights given to men in that day and age. And in addition to that, now they both become widows. Naomi and Ruth become widows. Naomi being kind of in older age and Ruth being younger. And they both have, have, have lost, have experienced great loss and, and great uh, Great suffering at the beginning of this story. And now they're, they're immigrants as well. Naomi immigrates into the land of, of Moab. And Ruth immigrates into the land of, of Israel. So there's just layer upon layer of vulnerable people. People who are open to all sorts of attacks. Who are left utterly defenseless. And yet in the midst of this, we see God's redemptive purposes working. We see him shielding them and preserving them. And ultimately, bringing forth a savior by preserving the line of the Messiah. So, quiz time this morning. You can just shout out your answers. How long is the book of Ruth? Okay, we will accept short. How many chapters is the book of Ruth? Four chapters, nice work. Why did Naomi's family move to Moab in the first place? What do you remember about that? Famine? Famine? 
yes, there was a famine in the land of Israel, and so they sought refuge in Moab. Number three, who does Ruth marry? Boaz. This is correct, yes. Number four, what time of year was it when Ruth and Naomi returned to Bethlehem? Harvest, yeah, start of the harvest, the barley harvest. How about this one? How were Ruth and Naomi related? Yes, Ruth was Naomi's daughter-in-law. Bonus question, I have a prize for this one if you can get it. I ate most of the prizes yesterday, but there's a couple left up here. Um, What does Ruth's name mean? Did I hear something? Any guesses? Nobody wants a peanut butter cup? All right. Well, the name Ruth, it means my pleasant one. My pleasant one. There's other possible meanings, something along the lines of refreshment or comfort or a female companion of sorts. So that's your that's your quiz for today. I think this is a good way for us to kind of do an on-ramp into the text so we remember and, and kind of orient ourselves. I think that can be very helpful. So previously on Ruth, the first five verses of chapter one, we saw this family, this family of Naomi and her husband Elimelech and her two sons, they left the land of Israel and they immigrated to Moab because there was a famine in the land. And while they were there, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, he dies. And her two sons, she is left with her two sons, and her two sons marry Moabite women, right? Ruth and Orpah. And then a time passes, and then Ruth's two sons, or excuse me, Naomi's two sons, they die as well. And so now we have this this widow who essentially is deprived of all economic means, because only her husband or her mother or father would be able to provide for her now. We have her left alone, this grieving, mourning widow with two widowed daughter-in-laws grieving in the land of, of Moab. That's where we left off last week. So our text this morning comes from Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 through 18. And I'll ask you to rise as we read God's word this morning. Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 through 18. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons, any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. 
even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand is turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to go back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you from me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would be with us today. God, I ask that my words would be faithful, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Our story continues from Israel to Moab and now from Moab back to the land of Israel. And what happens is Ruth starts out on this journey with Naomi and Orpah, right? The two, the two daughters-in-law. It's interesting to me, I've heard sermons preached this way and I've heard lessons taught in this way, like kind of the, the overall idea of, of this section is be a Ruth and don't be an Orpah. Does that sound familiar? Be, be like Ruth. Ruth clung to her mother. Don't be like Orpah. She went back into this horrible, sinful land kind of thing. Well, it's interesting as we get into this text and we, we find out at the very beginning, actually all three of them started out together. It wasn't as if she automatically just got rid of and was just ready to, to leave her family of these Israelites in order to head back to a land of, of paganism. She originally starts out with them. And in fact, Naomi is the one who encourages her to go back. Naomi is saying, look, you're not going to find like an eligible bachelor back in Israel, right? This is a woman. You are poverty stricken. You, are, you have no, no husband, like, and you're going to be a foreigner. The guys aren't going to be lining up at the doorstep to take you to the prom, And so Naomi's advice is actually for her, her daughter-in-law, Orpah's benefit. And she, she says, look, go back. You have people here. You will be provided for. You will be cared for. And who knows what sort of witness this woman who had lived in an Israelite household for a long time may have had in a pagan nation like that. That being said, Ruth, excuse me, Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, she says, look, stay here. Both of you stay here. And they say, no, we're coming with you. She says it again. Orpah leaves. Ruth's like, I'm staying here. I'm clinging to you. And she has to say it again, like multiple times, again and again and again, until she's finally like, all right, this daughter-in-law of mine, she's not going to listen to what I have to say. 
She's coming with me. She is going to cling to me, and she is going to go with me into the land of Israel. And for Ruth, this is the dilemma that she faces, is on the one hand, comfort, security, land, family, all these things that she knows and loves. And yet, on the other hand, there is the unknown. There is the great unknown of Israel, a place where she will have nothing of her own, a place where she will be vulnerable. And what we see here is happening is that as she's considering this, the question that arises in our minds and the situation that she faced was, why would I do this? Right? What's in it for Ruth? What does she have to gain by going to Israel? Because if you were to, to ask your average person to make a pro or con list for Ruth as she is considering making this decision, all right, pros, okay, I can have the family, I can have security, I can have comfort, I can have all that, and, and the cons of staying in Moab, there's, there's not a lot of those. And if you're to consider Israel, like, there's nothing for her there. There's nothing for her to gain. Like, by every standard, by every earthly standard, we would all say, she's crazy. Why stay in this relationship? Why stay in this relationship? That's a question most of us have faced at one time or another. Maybe you're facing it right now. Why would I stay in this relationship? Why stick it out? Why cling to this person? See, the default operating system that we have as human beings is when we approach relationships, the question we are asking is, what can I get out of this? Like, what's in this for me? You've heard the phrase, well, a relationship is 50-50. Is it's got to be some give, there's got to be some take. And so we're, we're kind of in this together, and as soon as the scales shift, and all of a sudden I discover, hey, hold on a second, I'm doing a lot more giving than I am getting in return. We want to jet. We want to cut it off. We want to get out of this thing, right? Could be a friendship, could be a marriage, could be a significant other could be a coworker or a relationship with a boss. Why would I stay in this relationship when like I'm not getting anything out of it in return? This is the default operating system that we have when we as human beings approach relationships. What can I get? My wife and I just finished watching a television series called The Shrink Next Door. It's based on a podcast which covers this true story, it's, it's really astounding. And it's about a guy by the name of Marty Markowitz and his therapist, Dr. Isaac, hold on, I got the name written, Hirschkopf, Dr. Isaac Hirschkopf. 
And Marty is having some problems in his life. He's depressed. He's, he's, he's struggling to be assertive. He's just, uh, he needs help, right? And so his, his sister kindly suggests, well, maybe you should go see this therapist, right? So he goes to this therapist, Dr. Isaac Hirschkopf, and he starts talking. And it seems that this is going to be a very helpful thing, like a, a very good relationship. His, his problems are being solved. But little by little, as we are brought along on this journey of their friendship, which lasts 20 years, we discover that Dr. Isaac Hirschkopf is not all that he seems to be. He starts to manipulate. He starts to control. He starts to get his hands and trespass in areas of Marty's life that he as a therapist has no professional business trespassing in. He, uh, Isaac is, uh, excuse me, Marty is, is a really rich individual. He has a lot of money. And so Dr. Isaac convinces him, look, let's throw some lavish parties and invite all of the social elite of New York City to, and, and we, can, we can do all of this awesome kind of stuff, and we'll, we'll, we'll spend a lot of your money. Let's put it to good use. And it gets to the point, this goes on and on for 20 years. It gets to the point where he signs his house over to the, his therapist's wife. He signs like the deed of his house over to his therapist's wife. You see, Dr. Isaac was in it to get something. He was in it to get something for himself, to gain something, to, to get something out of this other person because Marty, to him, was just a means to an end. He had the money. He had the stuff. And he wanted it. I think we can all identify with that story. Either we've been on one end of it or the other. I had a friend growing up. He lived just down the road from me. And if you know anything about my family, we were not allowed to have Nintendo in the house. Okay? Couldn't have Nintendo. Couldn't have a PlayStation. We had a PlayStation for like a year, and then we had to get rid of it. So like uh, Nintendo, video games, all that stuff was kind of a no-no in our house. But this friend of mine, man... He had all the stuff, right? So I wanted to go over to his house. I wanted to play with him. He also had all of these awesome toys that, that I did not have. I was a big Ninja Turtle fan at the time, still am. But I didn't have the Technodrome, you know, the big Technodrome. Some of my friends didn't. So I would want to go over to this guy's house because he had all the stuff, right? And in that relationship, I was there. I was committed as long as I was getting something in return. We do this with, with friendships. I'll stay with this person as long as we have a common interest, as long as we're having enough fun together and I'm deriving a sufficient amount of pleasure from it. We do this with significant others or our spouse. As long as this person is meeting all my needs and I'm able to attain self-realization or I'm able to be satisfied and happy and all of my needs are being met, as long as that is the case, I'll stick with it. But as soon as that balance shifts and I'm not getting what I think I deserve, I'm out. I'm out. Every relationship is just conditional and kind of contingent, right? So the idea of doing what Ruth did to Naomi, which is to cling to her, is very foreign in our day and age. Now, Brief caveat, but important caveat here, okay? Listen to this. 
it's very crucial for us to understand that there are situations where boundaries do need to be drawn. Okay, there are situations, there are relationships in life that have grown so unhealthy where there's perhaps abuse, physical or emotional, and in situations like that, it is not the responsibility of the abused to stick with their abuser. That is a lie. It's a lie, and it's unfortunate because it's recently come to light that many popular, well-known Christian pastors have given such advice to people who have been in abusive relationships, like, just kind of stick it out, you know, learn to forgive them, and, you know, you don't have any sort of recourse, just take the bruises, take the beatings, emotional, physical, whatever. That's not in line with God's word, that's not in line with what he teaches so we need to, to make that brief caveat to say, look, yes, there is such a thing as toxic relationships. And in cases like that, the responsibility is not just to cleave, okay? You are not in a relationship to be someone else's savior, to be able to give them everything that, that they think that they need. It's important to say that. Now, that being said, there's this little word in our our text today where it says Ruth clings to Naomi. This word in Hebrew is davach, and it means cling, cleave, or to stick to. And in other places in Scripture, it's used to describe like the scales of a, a crocodile. That's what it means to, to cling, the way that these, these scales overlap and, and hold on to one another. It's also used to describe the way that two pieces of a breastplate would have been welded together. So this helps expand our imaginations to understand how deep this clinging was that we see from Ruth. And, and I want to I read one more time to you her confession of faith as it's found in verses 16 through 17 because this is exactly what this is. This is a confession of faith. Naomi's telling her, look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Why don't you go back with her? And here's Ruth's response. She says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Ruth is not just committing to riding shotgun with Naomi on a trip to Costco. She's not just committing even to a move from Minnesota to North Dakota. This is much deeper than this. She's committing, she's saying, look, till death do us part. Like, that's the extent to which she is willing to go in this passage. That's the level of commitment that we see here. Now, the thing about this that we need to remember is that Ruth's clinging to, my, to Naomi is not just clinging to a friendship, okay? She, she says to Naomi, she says, look, don't make me leave you. And what she is saying, in essence, when she says that is don't make me be without your God. 
Don't make me be without Yahweh. Don't make me be without the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, though she would not have used those terms, would not have articulated it in that way. This is the same God. And Naomi's, excuse me, Ruth's confession of faith is utterly astounding. And it would have been just for an Israelite, much less a Moabite. So this is, this is utterly crazy, the, the extent to which she is going, to which she is committing to her mother-in-law. And so in Ruth, what we see is this wonderful, beautiful example of what Christian friendship looks like, of what Christian devotion looks like. And in doing so, what Ruth does is she points us. You see, Ruth, in her example, is just a signpost pointing us to someone greater. There's a huge, there's a world of difference between the way that the world approaches relationships and I'm in this to get something versus the Christian approach, what we are called to. And where is that rooted? I'm going to read to you from Deuteronomy. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. And I'm just going to read verses 7 through 8. Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8, it goes like this. The Lord did not set his, I'll preface this, this is God speaking to the people of Israel, his covenant, and giving the reason for his covenant, for choosing them to make his covenant with. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. In other words, they had nothing to offer God. It's not like he's like, man, I, I need some really strong, impressive Smart, devoted people here. Where am I going to find them? No, they have nothing to offer him. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. It was nothing you had to offer It was because the Lord loved you. And that brings us to our main point for today. So if you just remember anything this morning, remember this. Christians commit to people out of selfless love, not self-interest. We as Christians commit to other people out of selfless love. We are driven by selfless love, the selfless love that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has for you and for me, not out of self-interest. Big difference. John 3.16, I don't need to look that up. John 3.16, you guys know it. For God so that he... You see, that's God's devotion to you. 
He goes beyond what Ruth did for Naomi. He doesn't just cling to her. He dies for us. That's the extent of his love for you and for me. God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son into the world that you might have eternal life. I'm going to close this morning with just one verse. You probably know it by heart. This is Psalm 23, the very last verse of Psalm 23. I'm not sure if I've shared this with you before, but the point is good enough that it bears repeating. Psalm 23, verse 6, it says, Surely your goodness and mercy, or surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely your goodness and mercy will, will follow me. That verb, follow, we tend to think of that as being something along the lines of follow the leader, right? He goes right, I kind of follow behind. If the leader goes this way, I sort of follow behind. A little bit of a, a passive following. But what the word that's used here means is that God's mercy, God's love will pursue you. It will not stop chasing you. It is aggressive. It's like a dog on a, on a hunt. It, it, will, it will hunt you down. God's mercy, God's love will haunt your footsteps. See, that's how devoted he is to you and to me. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastorkjolhaug at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.